We are continuing uh, a, a journey through the New Testament book of James. And uh, man, this book is a book that was penned to a group of Christians who had been scattered all over the place uh, because of some difficult things that they were going through. And so the author of the book of James, who is the biological half-brother of Jesus himself, is writing this letter to Christians who are everywhere and is telling them this, listen, no matter where you happen to be, or whatever happens to be happening to you, you have to continue to prove that your faith in Jesus is genuine, not by the things you say necessarily, but by the way you live. Your life is going to continually give you opportunities to prove that your faith is authentic. Live a life that proves your faith in Jesus is genuine. And it's going to continue to do that even as we meet with him this morning. And uh, he's, he's going to be addressing something that I find a little bit odd. Uh, he's going to be talking about the future. And essentially, James is going to say to the follower of Jesus Christ that the way you think about the future reveals something about how authentic your faith in the person of Jesus Christ is. I don't know if you knew that, but the way you think about and treat the future says something about the authenticity of your faith, which is really helpful for me to know because if you're anything like me, then you spend a little bit of time thinking about the future. And apparently, you have a lot of opportunities to learn something about how authentic your faith is. So if you have a copy of the Bible, uh, meet me in James chapter 4. We're going to start reading at verse number 13. If you don't have a Bible, the verses are going to appear on the screen behind me. Uh, If you're at home, you're going to see the verses appear um, at the bottom of your screen as well. But James chapter 4, and we're going to start reading at verse number 13. James 4, verse 13, here's what he says. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make some money. (laughs) Wow, okay, that's great. Um, All right, so James opens up this section of scripture, and he seems to be speaking to the planners among us. He seems to be speaking to those of us who, you know, tend to be calendar-driven, those of us to-do listers, those of us vision boarders, those of us five-year mappers. He seems to be speaking to the planners among us. Now, I'd ask the planners among us to give me an amen, but that would be a little too spontaneous. Um, but here's what James uh, is doing. He's, he's talking to, to, to a planner who is um, in the midst of planning for uh, an upcoming move. And he meets these planners by speaking their love language that includes all of the beautiful details of a plan, such as when. Well, today or tomorrow, I mean, we're thinking uh, late April, early October, 
And uh, so we've been making our pros and cons list, and we're definitely leaning, yeah, we're definitely going late October. But he also answers the question, well, going, uh, going where? Yeah, we've been trying to figure that out, to this city or that city where we're wrestling. Should we go west or should we go south? And so we've been doing our research. We've been researching prices. We've been researching weather patterns and definitely leaning towards heading South, yeah, we're definitely going to head south. But he keeps on kind of in this, in this process of planning out the details because if, if you know when and, and you know where but you don't know why, well, that's just weird and it's, it's a waste. So why are we heading down there? Well, we're going to write this out. Well, we're going to go make some money. We're going to go make some straight cash. We're going to spend a year there and we're going to accumulate enough money to open up our options so that now we have enough resource to, to make a five-year plan. Sweet. Plan has been set into motion. Let us activate. James seems to be talking to the planners among us. But then, his tone turns pretty sour towards these planners who are making plans. James gives a, a caution to planners that frankly seems a little bit over the top considering they're just making plans. James says, well, thanks for your plans, but look at verse 14. Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then it vanishes. Whoa! That escalated pretty quickly. Bro, we're just planners making plans. Why all the aggression? Did you think we're cooking meth? Because we're actually just making plans. That's all we are doing. James responds to these planners making plans with these really sharp questions. Question number one, he asks these planners. He says, um, to the planners among us, number one, what on earth do you think you know. Wow. In October, um, you know, we're going to head south for a year. You have no clue what's going to happen tomorrow. What on earth do you even know? Whoa, James, we're just making plans, bro. That's it. Question number two, a little more piercing. Who on earth do you think you are? We're going to go make some money, and then we're going to make a, a, a little more money, and then we're going to move again in a year. You are, are you? You can determine all of that. And then he says, your life is like a morning fog, like it's here one moment, and then it's gone. James, I don't know what that has to do with us making plans, man, but it feels a little bit too intense, a response for people who are just making some plans. 
And then we're going to have a wedding in June. And we're going to do it outdoors because the weather is usually nice at that point. And then James pops up like the, 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 the planner pooper talking about like, I'm sorry, who on earth do you think you are? Whoa, we're just trying to plan a wedding. Relax. Well, we're thinking about keeping our kids out of school um, for the rest of this year. And then uh, next year, we're considering putting them back in the public school system. And then James shows up and is like, what on earth do you even know? Uh, James, a little bit of an overreaction to some people who are just making plans. Well, we have narrowed it down to, to a couple of graduate programs, and, and I'm, I'm strongly leaning towards heading to the Ohio State University, you know, uh, on the Purdue campus over there at IU in, 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 in Ann Arbor, Michigan, whatever. Um, and then James shows up and says, what do you even think you know? I'm just saying James's response seems a little bit aggressive for people who are just making plans. James, what are you trying to tell us? Are you saying Christians should not plan? Is that what we came to church to hear today? But then James makes his point a little bit more clear. If y'all would just be patient and keep reading. That's all it takes instead of jumping to conclusions. Look at verse 15. He says, instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or do that or make some wedding plans or go to grad school or keep our kids out of school, put them back in school. Head south, head west, whatever. Verse 16 as it is, the way you do it, he says, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. Okay, in all fairness to James, he starts to make a little more sense. Do you see what James is saying? For the follower of Jesus Christ, the problem is not that you plan for the future. The problem is when you presume upon the future. Heaven's problem is not what your plans reveal about your desires for the future. Heaven's problem is when your plans reveal that you believe that you get to determine the future. I know, I know, I made it sound like James was talking to the planners among us. That's not technically accurate. James is not so much speaking to the planners among us as much as he is speaking to the presumptions within us. And there is a cosmic difference between those two things, as I trust we'll see as we continue to work our way through this text. He's speaking to those parts in us that tend to want to believe, that tend to think, that tend to act 
as if we can govern or guarantee what's going to happen in the future. Well, because um, I, 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 you know, I researched it and I, I vision boarded it and I, I crossed the T's and I, I dotted the I's and I, I checked our bank account to see if we were able to, 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 to pull it off and then we, we checked the agenda and we checked the schedule and we called who we needed to call. And we made a plan. Okay, and what? Therefore, the future is now obligated to cooperate with my plan. James would say, whoa. We made a plan. So of course tomorrow we're going to do this. And of course tomorrow we're going to go there. And of course we're going to make this move. And then of course we're going to be able to pay it back in a few years. Why? Because we planned it. Now James's question starts to make sense. I'm sorry, who on earth do you think you are? You're a mist that is here one moment and gone the next. And you really think you are that powerful. The power of the future does not lie in your plans. That's what James is communicating. The problem is not the plans. Man, plans are this beautiful act of stewardship of our resources and our time. The problem for the follower of Jesus is the presumption that my plans are powerful enough to shape or guarantee the future. And James would say, whoa. Okay, well, clearly we all know James must be speaking to the first century people because we would never think this. And honestly, if you're like me, I actually think that. I think, when would I ever think that my plans govern or guarantee the future? I don't think that. And if you're like me, you probably would say the same thing. Like, he must be talking about other people because I don't think that way. That may be true. But let's forget what you think or what you would say for a minute. Let's talk about your feelings. Let's talk about my feelings for a hot minute. How about when the anger and frustration starts to bubble to the surface when our plans are interrupted or interfered with. Because none of us would say we believe, okay, forget that. How do you respond emotionally when your plans are interrupted or interfered with? That's the question. Why are you mad? 
Why are you frustrated? Well, because, well, we made plans. And we believed the future is now obligated to cooperate fully with the plans we made. And when it doesn't, we get mad. Why? Because that's not supposed to happen to my plans. Really? Who on earth do you think you are? When we make plans, forget what you think. The question is, how do you feel when your plans get tampered with or messed with a little bit? Man, your kid got sick and you got mad, big mad too. Ah, not upset that your kid is sick, but upset because this now messes with the plans. Do you know how much we planned on this? And this kid has the audacity to get sick on us. And now you're upset. Why? Because everything was supposed to cooperate with your plans. Huh. Their family's up here and they're talking about the, 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 the vulnerable child crisis in our world, in our community. And you feel irritation stirring up in you. Why? Well, because those things that you're talking about do not take into consideration the financial plans I've made for the next five years. That feels like it, it, it's an interruption, it's, it's an interference, and now all of a sudden, your plans are more powerful than God's passion. And so you feel a little bit irritated. The weather has delayed all flights. And you are big mad. And this is hilarious, by the way, if you just pause and think about it. Why are you mad? Because you believe <laughs> a thousand pilots and the weather system has co-conspired against your plans. You planned to be somewhere and now your plans have been messed with. And you see us, we'll even walk up to the counter and we're slamming our hands and we're yelling at somebody like, you've got to change this. Y'all need to make sure Southwest calls Delta and Delta calls United and United calls American and y'all have a conference to fix things because the future was supposed to cooperate. How dare you change my plans? And James would pop up and say, I'm sorry, who on earth do you think you are? James would ask, that question to us, when we start to find I am angry, raging, frustrated because something interrupted what I believed should be uninterruptible. Wait, so your plan was supposed to guarantee the future. Yes, it was. Now, I wouldn't say that out loud, but yes, it was. And James would say that thinking, believing that about the power of your plans is arrogant. Matter of fact, he calls it evil arrogance. And I'm just saying, forget what you say. How do you feel when what your plan course looks like? When somebody jumps in the middle of it, something changes it, 
What is your response to that? The follower of Jesus must never believe or behave as though our plans can govern or guarantee the future. That is arrogant. And you can understand why James would say this is a big deal. This is arrogance. This reveals something about your faith. Because when you start to do that, you are either suggesting that you are omniscient, which means you know all things. And James would say, what on earth do you know? Or it suggests you are omnipotent. You control the future. In which case, James would say, who do you think you are? You're just a mist. And the concern for James is there is already somebody who occupies that role. There is an answer to the question, who do you think you are? Well, I think I'm God. Because there's only one person whose plans ought to be met with a full cooperation of the future. And it's not you. Well, I think it should be. That says something about your faith. It says something about what you really believe. James says, no, instead, here's how the follower of Jesus Christ ought to live. There is a posture that every genuine Christian ought to take when it comes to the future, and it is the posture of submission. It's a posture that says, there is only one who knows the future, and there's only one who holds the future in his hands. The future is in God's hands, and what happens, God, it's up to you. Submission. It's ultimately up to you. The power of the future is not in my plans. It's in God's hands. Now, I will make my plans, and I'll trust that there'll be legit plans. But when I'm done, I will take my plans, and I will lay them down at the feet of the one who makes the calls about the future. Submission. It is ultimately up to you. Verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if it is God's will, then the plan will work, we'll go here, we'll do there, we'll make some money if it is God's will. And by the way, this is more than just a phrase, if it's God's will. I grew up in a home where, oh man, this got so irritating to me because it became this thing that we had to say. You had to say God willing after everything. Lord willing after everything. You know, I'm going to the party, Lord willing, Lord willing. I'm going to bed now, Lord willing. Lord willing. I'm going to punch you in the face now, Lord willing. Right? I mean, it became this semantic thing. Like we believed, like what James is really after is for a bunch of people who are just walking around and saying, Lord willing, after anything and after everything. Kind of like people say, bless you after you sneeze. They don't mean that. Especially not now if you sneeze. They don't mean that. Um... But James is not talking about semantics. He's talking about a genuine posture of 
submission. It is God and God alone who governs and guarantees what will happen tomorrow. And I submit to him, God, if you say so, then this is going to happen. It's God who ultimately decides and determines where I will live a year from now. It is God who ultimately makes the calls about the future. And I'm just asking, do you really believe that to be true? Do you really believe God holds the future in the palm of his hand and he's the one who makes those determinations? Do you believe that? Because the genuine follower of Jesus Christ must. But can we be honest? I hope so. For some of us, we don't live like we believe that. We live like we believe that it's not really up to God. It's up to the patterns Um, patterns determine the future. For a large chunk of us, the patterns determine the future. Um, And here's what I mean. God allows something to happen a thousand times over and over and over and over and over and over again. And what we do is we read and observe that pattern. And before long, we start to presume upon the pattern and we start to put our confidence in the pattern. Well, it's happened a thousand times, therefore it will continue to happen. My confidence is that this pattern will carry its own. I have woken up every single day for 30 plus years. Ergo, I'm going to wake up tomorrow. My confidence is in this pattern must continue. I have hugged my children every day for so many the pattern must continue. Well, my grandfather and my father after him all retired with a certain kind of nest egg and they followed the same pattern and path that I'm on, so therefore, I'm going to be fine. Your confidence is in the pattern continuing the way it always has. For many of us, We don't really believe God is calling the shots. Our confidence is in these patterns. And James would say, don't presume upon the pattern. Because listen, and and, Spirit of God, help me to believe this. It was never a pattern. It was always God making a thousand decisions over and over and over and over again. He made a decision over and over and again, 30 plus years for you to wake up and take breath in your lungs. That wasn't a pattern. That was the grace of God. His mercies were new every morning. He still was the one determining the future. It was God who was making the call to give you the strength to go and do this job that you've gone to day after day after day after day. But before long, we put confidence in the pattern and we start to depend upon it. 
And in case we attempted to forget how true this is, all it takes is a pandemic. Woo! That thing showed up and it broke the pattern and told us the future owes you nothing. What you had yesterday, and the, this was the act of a gracious God making decisions in your favor over and over and over again. But man, a pandemic shows up. And many of us realize for the first time, ooh, that did not guarantee what would come next. But can we be more honest? The pandemic showed up, and what did most of us do? How dare this thing interrupt my plans? We had plans. And the future was obligated to honor these plans. And we were mad. Because there's a conspiracy against us. And James would say, I'm sorry. Question. I think this season has been so sobering for so many of us. Because it's proven to us it's never about a pattern. It was never about that. It was always about a God who makes the calls, determines, and controls the future. It works the same way today that it did in March. God determines the future. I'm just asking, do you really believe that? Because it will show up in the way we live in moments like, if I put my confidence in a pattern, I will be wrecked by a pandemic. But if God truly controls, oh, well, look what we woke up to today. God obviously hasn't lost his power over the future. Do you believe that? For some of us, it's not in the pattern. We believe and we put our you know, confidence in our portfolios. Our portfolios determine the future. And so, man, I continually check with my financial advisor to make sure that everything is just right. Because if I can know that everything is just right, then I know I'm going to be okay tomorrow. And all it takes is for the economy to say, <laughs> and we are reminded, whoa, it never was the portfolio. The fact that the Lord allowed it to work a certain way, and we started to put confidence in that thing. And James would say, no, Christians ought to live truly submitted and believing God is the one who makes determinations about the future. And I'm telling you, as we start to return to this place, because at the end of this all, I believe heaven is inviting the church to return to this place where we live with this posture of submission, we will find there is immense joy and immense freedom. Because for some of us, we put the power of the future in our hands as parents. And so I made some bad moves as a parent. And my kids are not entirely cooperating right now. 
which pretty much guarantees that they're going to be in jail by the time they're 12. It's like she's nursing. Slow down. We're not there yet, but for some of us, we live like the future is determined by our parenting. For some of us, we live like the future is determined by our past mistakes. Man, I made some bad decisions, and now I'm never going to get to experience one of those love stories like those people. And James would say, I'm sorry, what on earth do you think you know? Your past doesn't govern the future. There is a God who determines the future. I'm just asking, do you really, really believe this to be true? Because it will show up in the way that you live. And for some of us, it will bring an immense amount of freedom. We ought to live in a posture of submitting the future to the will of God, reflected in an insistence on saying, speaking to my heart over and over again, if it is God's will, we will do this or we will do that tomorrow. And you can see it. We're in a season where if you had talked to me about this in February, I'd be like, oh, that's cute. But now I feel it. Will my kids have a sports season? If God wills. I don't know, I mean, will we be financially stable in eight months? Mm-hmm. If God wills. This is a posture that heaven has been inviting the church to live in for years and years and years and years and years and years. And even now, I pray that we won't miss what heaven is inviting us into because many of us are going to start to cry, God, would you do that thing where you take us back to the way things used to be? What things? Remember when we had a pattern and we knew exactly where everything would be coming from? Take us back to the place where we had enough bread in the storehouse. We never had to say, give us this day our daily bread. Remember when we could presume upon the future and we didn't have to thank you for every breath we took. Take us back there. And heaven is saying, I have bigger plans for y'all. Submit to the fact that I own the future and I always have. It's not patterns, it's provision and it's from me. There is a posture I believe heaven is inviting the church to come back to. Submitting our futures to the will of God, bringing our plans and our patterns and laying them at his feet, bringing our parental failures and bringing our messy pasts and laying them at his feet and saying the future is yours. You decide. Bringing our portfolios and laying them at his feet and saying you decide. Whether this thing is here in five years or not, that's really your call. But I think we've, we've lost sight in so many regards of This very simple truth, and man, that's part of why I think the pandemic has kicked our butts. It's part of why I think, man, anxiety is 
spiking and, and panic attacks are on the rise because the patterns we used to use to predict the future have been broken. And now we are living in this sense of, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, let alone what's going to happen a year from now. I don't know. I've never had to live in a world where I don't know. That was the stuff for like the developing world. Those poor countries where revival always seems to be breaking out, strangely enough. But man, we are more anxious than we've been in a very long time because what we depended on for the security and assurances of the future has been shaken and so have we. And heaven is inviting us back to a rock that doesn't move. The God who holds the future in his hand. This is a big deal to say if God wills. It will set your heart free from some things. Man, there is just a spike in anger. Boy, I, I, I've never seen us, and I'm talking about the church, this angry, we are big mad, angry about everything, triggered about this and upset about that. And we're constantly pointing fingers and believing like this person is trying to strip me of my control. Instead of acknowledging, I never had any. And I don't think we realize why we are so angry because our best laid plans have been laid out. So nothing is working. I don't feel like I can, I can quite, things aren't the way they're supposed, they were not supposed to be this way. And we are mad. And some of us who are deeply experiencing disappointment because the things we were longing for and looking forward to are just not shaping up the way that, I mean, I never thought I'd get married over Zoom. This is weird. This is not what I wanted. And James would say, come on, heaven is inviting the church back to reclaim our freedom and reclaim our joy. And the reclaiming of freedom and joy is not going to come from returning to the way things were. It's going to come from submitting to the God who controls and owns the future and is completely immune, has all the antibodies for every pandemic. He's fine. He's not shifting or changing in any way. I believe there's an invitation in this season for the followers of Jesus to submit control and our, our plans and our disappointments and our anxiety and our anger to God. So Lord, you control the future. You determine what happens next. Help us believe that. It's not a pandemic that makes that decision. It's not the pattern, not my past, not the portfolio. It's ultimately you. In fact, James says <clears throat> this, that to live any other way will show you something about your faith. In fact, he says to live any other way than in a posture of submitting the future to God is sinful. 
Look at verse 17. If anyone then knows this, knows the good they ought to do, and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. It is sin for them. And James would say, lay it down. Find freedom and joy in laying down the future and what happens. God, if you will. And <clears throat> let me say this. I may not be wise, but I'm not always the wisest person. Um, but let me state the obvious elephant in the room, or donkey, whatever, I don't know. Um, <clears throat> I cannot help but believe heaven is telling the church, let me rephrase, heaven is telling the American church, y'all have put way too much of the future's power in a political outcome. Stop it. Wow. So let me ask again, do we really believe the future is in God's hands? Do we, because right now, we have one of the most obvious opportunities to live this out. Do we really believe this? I believe heaven is saying, bring it back to God. Do you really believe that he's the one who governs and guarantees the future. I have never seen this much restlessness in the church over a political outcome. I can imagine James popping up and saying, I'm sorry, who on earth do you think they are? What on earth do you think they know? Because you certainly are acting like they hold the whole world in their hands. And it can't be both. It cannot be both. Either God is the God of the future or Washington, D.C. is. Do we really believe that? I believe heaven would say submit the outcome to the one who determines the future. Man, I'll, I'll even hear Christians pleading with God. God, please God. If you get everything else wrong, God, please get this one right. <laughs> For real? Do you know how arrogant that is to pray that? So wait a minute. So if your candidate doesn't win, I got things wrong? If your candidate doesn't win, I've lost my grip on the future? Yes, God. How? 
Because if that candidate wins, God let us tell you what the future holds. Oh, you know what the future holds now. Go counsel me. Well, there'll be pandemonium and there'll be racial tension and, and there'll be division and, and there'll be, you know, church liberties will be gone or minorities will be attacked or the police will be. We know this is going. You know, do you? Yes, tomorrow this will happen and that will happen and this will happen. And James would pop up and say, who do you think you are? You know the future now. Well, based on the patterns, oh, because the patterns are what guarantee the future. We are living our lives right now as a church in America like, well, if it's Don's will, well, if it's Joe's will, really? And heaven is inviting us back. God is like, I'm still playing. So by all means, cast your vote and then submit the outcome. And watch me decide what I decide and I will, I will provide for you just like I provided for you two years ago. I will protect you just like I protected you four years ago. I'm the one who does that. Give me my glory back. Submit the future to me. Submit the future to me. There is an invitation to return to a place of joy, to return to a place of freedom. And freedom is not found in a political party. Freedom is found in the God of the universe who sent his son to die for us, loves us so much, he is for us, and he holds the future in his hands. And he doesn't just hold the future in his hands, he holds our best in his hands. Believe the candidates' promises over the promises of the God who actually. I'm getting carried away. That feels like I'm getting dragged out a little bit, but I pray that heaven would bring us back to this place of submission and surrender, and that even in the midst of all the chaos, the church would rise up with joy. And then in the midst of all of the tension and the uncertainty, we'll be the ones who are like, God's got this, I'm going to bed. Lord willing. So, Father, I pray that you would do something amazing in us, that you would call us back to a place of submission to you. And I pray for those who may be feeling like the past has the power to govern the future, or they may be feeling like the, the patterns govern the future, or political outcomes govern the future. Lord, bring all of those things to the surface in our hearts so that we can repent and we can return and we can declare our God holds the future. If it is your will, what man can change that? Who can stop that? Not even we can. And Lord, we thank you for Jesus Christ who lived this way, who would continually surrender and submit himself to you while he walked on earth. So if we're going to follow him, Help us to follow him, even in his submission, who did not consider equality with you something to be used to his own advantage, but he submitted. Help us to be willing to do the same. 
you are so good. <laughs> and we just completely declare you've got this. And so we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.